I can't believe, like I said at the beginning, that last weekend we were dancing away in the marquee, um, lost in worship, enjoying company with one another, um, slippy sliding, doing all those amazing things, um, having great company with one another, and um, just enjoying time, which is so important to be able to have time together and uh, just to have some silliness as well as worship and teaching and all the great things that happened over the weekend. So I want us to think today about what on earth is this about? What is the festival about? What is church about? Okay, and then I'm going to go off for two weeks so I can leave you a bomb and then run. Um, so uh, I'll leave the, the guys to pick it up for, um, over the summer. Um, but what are the keys that make it so important? Why is it important that we meet at all? You know, why do we do this thing called church? You know, thousands of years ago when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't simply die on the cross rise from the dead, come back to life and, you know, give us the hope and secure us a place in heaven. After he rose from the dead, he spoke and he spoke to many different people. He talked to different people and um, he sent the promise of the Holy Spirit that would come upon the followers and the believers so that we could fulfill the Great Commission. And that's where we're at today. We've been filled by the Holy Spirit and we're still living out that Great Commission today. And in that moment, the early church was born. The church was born so that the gospel, the good news of Jesus could be spread. And we see that this bunch of people started gathering together. Okay, and I like to think it was a bit like the festival weekend, people coming together, you know, eating together, sharing together, sharing stories together, encouraging one another, a very fluid kind of gathering. Um, And so today I want to ask, why is that gathering so important? What did it look like? What does it feel like? What should church feel like? Um, And ask that question today, why is it important? Why was it so important that immediately after Jesus came back from the dead, that he sent the Holy Spirit, instructed the Holy Spirit to fill us up so that the church was born, so that we could continue that good news that we're still doing today? So I want to have a look at Psalm 73 this morning, okay? And I'm going to be looking at it from the Message Bible, just because I think it really creates a scene and paints a picture um, about the church. Um, We're living in a time where the church, um, people don't really know what the church is about, okay? If you ask people what's the importance or what's the relevance of church, most people will probably say, for weddings and funerals. Um, Apart from that, they haven't been to church. You know, in my, certainly in my parents' generation, um, probably not my generation even as much, but in my parents' generation, most children would have gone to Sunday school. Um, So they had some sort of idea of Sunday school and biblical teaching. But today, that's not where where we're at, you know. We start at ground zero with people about what church is. And I think it's important to kind of help people to see what the church is all about. It's not just about when you're a child going to visit a church with a clipboard, identifying different artifacts and things within the church, okay? That's the building, But we are the church. We know that. So in Psalm 73, we have this man, and his name is Asaph, okay? Bit of a funny name. Sure you don't know anyone in your life, do you, called Asaph? Anyone got an Asaph in their life? No? Okay, so um, he wrote this psalm. He wrote 12 psalms, and he was encouraged, and David led him, okay? Um, So here we go. This is Psalm 73. 
Truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. Okay, so we start with just a little bit. Here he's saying, that's a truth. That's what I believe. I believe God is good. Okay, God is good to those who have pure hearts. I believe that God blesses those who follow him. Okay, and he's um, there to bless us. That's what I believe. But then he goes on to tell us that he experiences the things he goes through in life challenge his belief. Okay, so we go on a bit more. He says, but as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping. You could say so was my commitment to church, to gathering. You know, like we start to miss out on things. And I was almost gone. For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. You know, can we relate to that? Can we relate to his heart a little bit here? That, you know, we're trying to do God's way. We're trying to follow what God's got for our lives, but it's really hard. It's really hard going God's way. It's really hard when our friends who aren't Christians, who don't follow Jesus, seem to have it all together, seem to have an easy life, seem to sail through, to have everything that they want. They sit on the beach on a Sunday morning, and the tide is lapping at their feet, and they have a picnic, okay? And it's hard. It feels hard. This is what he's saying. I look at others, and their lives seem easy, and mine's really tough. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. I love the honesty of Asaph here. He holds nothing back. He's really authentic with his words, okay? He says this. I love this verse. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only of evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens, and their words strut throughout the earth. And so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. What does God know, they ask? Does the Most High even know what's happening? Look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. And then Aphath says, Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I do all this for nothing? Did I try for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? Okay, so we'll leave it there. Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? Okay, so Asaph, he here, he starts off by saying, God is really good. I believe that God is really good. I believe that that's a better way to live, to keep your heart pure, to trust in God, to keep your eyes fixed on God. I believe that God is looking over the earth and he's looking for people. He wants to bless. He wants to pour out his goodness. He wants to pour out his blessing. The thing is, what he's saying is, in that his experiences, his life experiences, his life situations, they challenge that belief. They challenge that belief. I don't know if you've ever felt that. You know, when you were at Upfest last weekend and you're in worship and you're dancing around, you're jumping around and you've got all your friends and everything's good and you decide I'm going to go for it with God and I'm going to, it's really great. My faith's in a great place. I'm encouraged by others. People are encouraging me. I'm going forward for prayer. God's speaking to me. Things are happening. And then Monday morning you wake up and it's like, oh, you know, oh. 
you go into work and your boss starts shouting at you about deadlines that need to be met and it's so hard. You haven't done any shopping because you've been at Upfest all weekend, you've forgotten to buy the milk and everyone's really grumpy in the house because there's no breakfast. Um, your friends have had a fallout over Messenger and you're trying to sort it out and you've got caught in the middle. You know, everything's going wrong and suddenly it's hard. It's hard. You had such good intentions, but it's hard. We would love to think that by going to church, by gathering together, if we're part of doing what God says is so important, if we're going forward and being filled with the Spirit, if God is equipping us, if God is um, giving us gifts and we're using those gifts, if we're you know, using those gifts within God's family and, and wider, if I'm following Jesus, if I'm trying to seek the best uh, plan that God has for my life, then we would like to think that life would go easier, that it would flow easier, that actually we would have all that we need and, yeah, life would run easy. But actually, when we look at the reality of our daily situations and our lives and our experiences and sometimes what it's like to be part of a church community and gathering, sometimes we feel like we want to say, like, Asaph, my, I'm struggling here. My feet are slipping my feet are slipping. I'm struggling just to stand up. I'm struggling just to keep my faith at this moment because I thought it was going to be this way and I thought it was going to be okay. But actually, the ex my life experience is the opposite. It's hard and it's tough. And I'm facing situations that are difficult. We feel like Asaph. You know, we know people in our lives that are not part of the church, and they've got Sundays free, haven't they? They just go off and have Sundays free. They're not run ragged in children's ministry when you've had children all week and run ragged in children's ministry. They're not having to put a smile on when they serve tea and coffee when they've literally just rolled out of bed, okay? They're not having to do those things. You know, I um, was laughing on Freya's last day of school. My daughter finished year six this year, so it's the end of her school, and it's the end of me walking up to Amherst for 14 years of my life at the school gate, um, hallelujah. Um, and um, I, I was, was laughing because I got to the school gate on the Friday where all the children were coming out and all the parents, my friends, were literally dressed like it was a catwalk. Okay, They were about to step on the catwalk. They had nice clothes on. They were having photos taken with their children and the school bell was ringing and it was all beautiful. And there was me and I'd been setting up for up first all day and I literally looked like I'd been dragged through a bush backwards. Okay, I'd paint in my hair. I'd chalk on my face. Helen, we won't mention, I was stinking of double cream. I um, absolutely was in a, a mess, okay? And my photo with Freya just says it all. I look like this big disaster. And uh, I was thinking, it's a sacrifice, isn't it? It's a sacrifice that you make when you serve Jesus. That, you know, I can look at my friends sometimes and think, oh, you know, that I remember going to a meeting, um, what was about two months ago, and it came up about teachers leaving presents. Have you ever had this discussion? Parents of you will know. What we're going to give the teachers their leaving presents. And about six of the parents said, I'm already sorted. 
I thought, goodness me, have you got nothing better to do with your lives than, than get teachers leaving presents two months early? I'm like the day before running around. And you can easily look, I can easily look and think, just like Asaph, a bit harsh, but these fat cats are strutting throughout the earth at large, living large. And here I am serving and sacrificing and I'm worn ragged and I smell of double cream. And uh, yet this is what Jesus died for me to be a part of. Okay, that's how I can sometimes feel. And it's hard and I'm slogging away. And I can, if I'm not careful, get into the thing of what's the reward? What's the reward? So this morning I'm going to give you four points on probably why it was a good idea that you didn't come to Upfest, or maybe why you should stay away from church and never bother coming to a gathering of Jesus' followers again. Okay, so here's four points why never bother coming again. Okay, number one, there are much better speakers online. Okay, there are much better speakers online. You would be much better to become a digital disciple. Okay, that's what I'd say to you this morning. Listen to podcast after podcast. You can listen to the best preachers, speakers, teachers in the world anytime you want to. You can fill your house with elevation worship, hillsong worship at the right volume for your little ears. Um, You can listen to any message. I can worship God on my own in my home. And I'm going to be honest, it's easier than ever not to physically meet together. Okay. Who needs to gather? Why would you listen to me or Nathan or Matt when you can have Mike Pilavachi on TV in your lounge whilst wearing your pyjamas, having a cup of coffee, playing a game of Candy Crush on your phone at the same time? Okay, it's quite appealing. Okay, then you can have your own private worship session with Phil Wickham. Okay, and uh, you can do it straight through YouTube on your TV. I can follow Jesus on my own little lonely self. Quite appealing. Okay, number one, become a digital disciple. Number two, when we get together, at best it's messy, sometimes it's chaotic, at worst we absolutely haven't got a clue what's happening, okay? That is generally where we are, okay? It might look together, but generally we haven't got a clue what's going on. Let me tell you something, it's messy. This thing that we call Shiloh is messy, When we come together, it's messy, okay? Last weekend, there were children swinging from the strip lights, okay? There were um, people covered in dry paint. There were people sliding down the slippy slide with dry paint, okay? So they were physically messy. But there's others who have messy life situations, okay? So their lives are quite messy. It's messy because you are messy. Let me tell you this morning, you are messy. It's messy because I'm messy. It's messy because we don't make always the right decisions as a church. Okay, sometimes we're having to make on-the-spot decisions, and they have implications, but sometimes we get it wrong, okay, and we all need grace. We're all messed up. We've all made a mess. We need grace, and it's messy being part of a church, seeing people every day dealing with dysfunctional situations, working with people on a journey, following Jesus, working through conflict. It's messy. That's what it is. It's messy. And we come together in our little mess and create one big mess. That's what it is, okay? So you can become a digital disciple all on your own and avoid the mess, okay? Thirdly, it's going to cost you something, okay? It's going to be a sacrifice. It's going to cost you. If we're going to build on something like last weekend and and, uh, what we're doing today, if we're going to do something like this and make a difference in people's lives, then it's going to cost us. 
It's going to cost us. It's going to cost us energy. It's going to cost us time. It's going to cost us financially. It's going to cost us. It's going to cost us something. If we're going to be part of the church, it would be easy to be with Asaph and think, who needs church? It'd be easy to think that question. I'll just be a fat cat running around the world. I'll just chuck it all in. I'll chuck on a podcast once in a while. Listen, get a bit fed. Who needs the hassle? You know, I'm not willing to pay the price. And fourthly, it's a battle. Okay, we're in a battleground. It's a battle. It's a fight. We have to choose to believe that life is not a playground. It's a battleground. Okay, and daily we're going at war with an enemy who wants to keep us under his control and everybody else under his control. It would be fantastic if life was a playground. Remember when you were a child and you used to go to Sunray Park and you'd play and play and play and play and play and then your parents or whoever was looking after you would say, time to go home and you just did not want to go home because it was such good fun. Wouldn't it be great if our experience was like that, that we just never wanted to go home because life was just so great? But, you know, we live in an island and we look at an island where we long for people to understand their place and their identity. We long for people to understand their purpose, they have hope, that they understand who they are in Jesus, what Jesus has done for them, to know their value. And we're battling against it. We're battling against hopelessness. We're battling against despair. We're battling against overdose. We're battling against addiction. We're fighting for people to know Jesus and know victory in their lives in this island. And this is a daily, weekly challenge for us as a church. It's fantastic that we are welcoming people who of all different backgrounds, all different life circumstances. But, and I cannot begin to tell you how many amazing things happen week by week by week where we're just seeing God at work in people's lives, releasing them from difficulty, from difficult situations. You know, it's a battle. You know what battles are? They're hard. They're hard. You very rarely come out of a battle without any scars. Okay, we carry scars from the battle. So why on earth would I come to a gathering of God's followers? Why would I come to the thing we call church? If I can do it on my own, if it's going to be messy, if it's going to cost me, if I'm going to be thrown into the battlefield, why is it important to belong, to encourage, to support, to fully commit to a church community? Well, if we read Asaph's psalm again, it didn't end at, did I keep myself innocent for no reason? Thank God it didn't end there. We have to praise God he didn't end there. He says in verse 14, I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. Oh dear, it sounds so miserable. If I had really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper. But what a difficult task it is. And then verse 17, here goes. Then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. You see, Asaph is just like you and me. Just like you and me, we have short-term memory. You know, we tend to look at everything going on around us and see all the problems going on around us. And looking at this world, he said, I saw only the prosperity. I was only looking at it from an earthly perspective. 
But then, when I came together with God's people, when I started to worship, when I put my eyes back onto God, I remember my eternity and the eternal hope that I have because I'm with God's people and I've refocused again on an awesome God. We have a new perspective. He had a new perspective. He then turned from a heart of envy and jealousy to a heart of compassion. He realized that the people that he was envying actually had nothing at all. They had all the earthly things, but actually they didn't have a hope of a future that Jesus had brought for them. They didn't know that hope. They didn't have the hope of heaven. So he comes to realizing this. He comes to this place where he says, I'm forgetful. But when I come back with God's people, I remember eternity. I remember the plan that he has for my life. I remember the good future that he has for my life. And I begin to see things as they actually are because I learn my identity in Christ and I want to be part of the church. I want to be with God's people. And I believe this morning that's what we need to do as well, is that when we come together, we know our identity in Christ and we come together as God's people. You see, the problems that we have in the church, the things that are difficult in the church, are the same things that put power into the church. They put power in us. If we think about the messiness of the church and the difficulty and the inconvenience of being part of the church and the fact that it's easier not to go to church and you can just become a consumer on your sofa of another church's message rather than participating in yours. And we think about the fact that it's a fight and it's a battle because we're fighting for for people's lives, for them to know Jesus and their identity. Those are the things that put power into it. We resist it because it's difficult, because it's hard, because it's tough. But that's it. If we lean in, if we press into those things, then that's where power comes from. Um, That's where the power comes from. The mess of dealing with people's stories, when we get involved in that mess, when we start unpicking it, when we start helping people find their identity in Christ, that's when we receive power. How blessed are we when we work with people, when we see um, transformation in people's lives? You know, it's, it's, it's amazing. This weekend, there's some people who I know many of us in here have been working with, and they became part of the church community just very naturally. And that gives us power because it gave me a new passion and a new excitement to see people come to know Jesus as we're seeing people transformed before our eyes. We're seeing people transform before our lives. They're they're raising, God's doing something in them. They're changing before our eyes. And that gives us a new power to keep going, a new passion to see more people find their identity in Jesus. But it takes us working with the mess and working with the chaos and working with the difficulty. When we press in, um, we begin to see the power that it gives to us. You know, for me personally, I find it a real challenge when I, when people confront me. I have, um, I, you know, like I don't like confrontation. I don't think many of us do probably, but I have had to learn to press in, to press in because it helps me to grow helps me to grow. It gives me more God's power and wisdom in situations. We need to press in to those situations rather than shying away from them. Dealing with people's lives help us, helps us to grow. You know, people who confront us, 
You know, there's power in us working through those things with the help of God. The Bible says, if there were no oxen, the barn would be clean. I love this verse. If there were no oxen, the barn would be clean. But what are you going to do with a farm with no cows? You know, it's like this. You would have the most amazing farm. I remember when Joseph was two, his birthday present. Sorry, Joe. I know, I see you go on. Well, his birthday present from us was we painted him a farm board, you know, with the fields and the, and the, and the hedges and all the pond and everything, you know. And it was really beautiful. And me being my perfectionist way, wanted everything lined up in little ducks in the pond and cows. And, and you know, he was so excited to get it that he just sort of like, everything went everywhere and he had tractors driving through the pond and everything. And I'm like, no, it's wrong, it's wrong, it's got to be neat. And that's how it is, you know, a farm would be nice and neat, It would be all tidy if it had no cows in it. It had no animals. You wouldn't have to drag food around and get water, and it would all be clean and tidy, and it would look amazing. There'd be no cow poo around. That's the truth, isn't it? But the fact is they're messy creatures. Cows are messy creatures, and you have to have the mess in order for the farm to be productive. If there's no cows, there's no, it's not productive. Okay, wouldn't the church be fantastic with no people? Okay, that's what I sometimes think. It'd be no drama, no problems, no mess, no chaos. It would be clean and we could lay out the chairs and they'd stay exactly where they are and everything would be great. Okay, the problem is, is that there would be no power because people, the mess, the chaos, okay, that's where it becomes productive. And there's something else that we need to to realize, I think, this morning. It's this. And I know we know it, but church is not what we do. It's who we are. It is who we are. Church is who we are. Um, So if we're asking ourselves the question this morning, who needs the church anyway? As followers of Jesus, we're actually running from ourselves. We're running away from ourselves. We are the church. Paul says in this amazing verse, Um, to the Ephesians. You are no longer wandering exiles. The kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name of Christian as anyone. And I think someone needs to hear that line this morning. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here, In what he is building, he used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you. Now he's using you. Fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. Church is not what we do, it's who we are. We are all bricks. Look at the person next to you and tell them you're a brick. Okay. (laughs) Okay, that sounds very good. We're all bricks in the house, okay? We're all bricks in the house. And when um, I think about a Christian who is not part of community, not adding their voice in worship, not bringing their voice in worship, not armoured up for the mission of reaching people, not joining in with the mission of the church, someone who's not throwing themselves into the battle, someone who's not doing what they're called to do, um, not pouring out, they're not giving, missing the opportunities. I think of this picture that we used to play in youth. I don't know if you remember it. We used to have two teams when we were young, and we got given a shed load of tinfoil and a shed load of cardboard, like um, 
what they call the insides of the wrapping paper. You know, the long kitchen roll, cardboard tubes. That's the word, tube. Okay, that's what I'm looking for. Okay, we used to get given them. Okay, and we'd told, get told you've got 10 minutes to armor up. Okay, and we used to make tin foil armor and we'd be covered in it. Okay, then literally we'd all grab a tube and just whack each other. Okay, that's what we'd do for like 20 minutes or so. Okay, and uh, and you had to knock the armor off each other. Okay, and when a bit of armor was knocked off, that part of your body became vulnerable. And if you got hit on the arm, you were out. Okay, there was a vulnerability when you lost your armor. You know, we're all meant to be pieces in the house of God somewhere. None of us are meant to be following Jesus in isolation or on our own. We're supposed to be doing it in cooperation with one another. And so in area, any area that you're not using your gifts, it's like that game. It, it makes the church weak in an area because we need you. We need you. We need that part, that thing that God has placed in you. We need that bit here in the church. We need to be working together. Church is not what we do. It's who we are. It's our identity. We're part of this thing together. We work together. We use our giftings together. You know, and if we say, I'm just going to follow Jesus by myself, I'm just going to do it on my own. You know, we are a church, we're a gathering of people who are going to miss you. We're going to miss that piece because we're missing it. When we go on mission, we'll be like, who? Oh, oh, Esme's not here. Esme's not here. And she brings the creativity. Oh, we needed Esme because we're missing that bit now. We needed it. You know, Harry's not here. Harry brings people together all the time. He's the great coordinator of our youth. We miss him. Everyone's a bit disjointed, you know. We look at different gifts and we say we miss it when they're not here. We need to be together. We work together. It's, our identity is working together. We're part of this. We're part of this thing. And we shouldn't just be in it for what benefits can I get out of it? What can I just get out of the church? There's a huge lift, list of benefits, but there's a huge problem when we look only at what we can get out of the church you know, what can I get out this weekend? I can, get, I can do slippy slides, I can get some good food, I can get tea, coffee, get a bit of chat. That's what I can get out of it. And there are benefits to following Jesus. Of course there are. Amazing benefits. And I wouldn't want to be anywhere else than part of a church. In fact, someone said to me, one young person said to me over the weekend, he grew up in church, grew up going to Sunday school and then has left. And he came back for the first time um, this weekend. And he said to me, you know what? I, the one thing that I hadn't realized I'd missed is how good it is being part of a community of people who support you, who love you of all ages. And that came from a 16-year-old. You know, Isn't that brilliant? There's so many benefits to being part of community. And it's amazing. But if we become consumers, then it's literally like, mm, do I fancy dinner at Christie's or Octopus? Do I fancy going to church or doing something else? That's how it becomes. It becomes as simple as those kind of decisions when it's all about us. Our, at best, we are at our best, each one of us, and as our church, when we are focused not on ourselves, when we're not focused on ourselves, and we're at our happiest when we're not focused on ourselves. When we take our eyes off ourselves, that's when we're at our best and we're at our happiest. 
So to remember that the church is not um, for us, the church is here for the world. The church is here for the world. We are for those, we are here for those who do not yet know Jesus. That's what we're here. And when, when we understand that, then it makes it more about the lost than those who are found. It's more about the lost than those who are found. That's the exciting thing about the church. So the problems that are with the church, the things that we find difficult, the mess, the chaos, the battle, are the things that have power in the church. That's what gives us power in the church. It's not what we do, it's who we are. It's who we are. And there's one final thing I want to say this morning, very briefly, finishing off, is this. If Jesus shed his blood to buy the church then we should give our lives to build the church. If Jesus gave his life to buy the church, we should give our lives to build the church. If nothing else, if there was no other reason, if there was no benefit to us at all, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, and because he shed his blood to buy each one of us, gathered here today, he shed his blood for the church. He cares for the church because he loves the church, because we are his plan A. This was his design. This is what Jesus um, planned as the hope of the world. Because of that, we should give our lives to it. Paul says in Ephesians 5, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present herself to him as a gift to himself, as a radiant church. Are we radiant? Are we radiant? Are we shining? Are we glowing? I'll tell you what, we... I really believe we are. I believe we are. People are driving past and saying, what is going on there? They're noticing that God is doing things. Are we radiant without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless? Are we living holy lives that are getting noticed? Listen to me. Jesus loves the church. He's building his church That's what he's doing. And he wants us to be a part of it. Yes, you will be transformed through it. Yes, I pray that you will be blessed through gathering together. Yes, there is power. We will receive power. But at the end of the day, if we're calling ourselves followers of Jesus, we need to care and love what he cares about and what he loves. And he cares about the church and he loves the church.